Well, good morning. It is good to be able to be with you on another Sunday, Palm Sunday, as has already been mentioned to us this morning. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point. Before we jump in to a message today that really I think is possibly going to challenge the ways that we think about Jesus, um, I want to first take a moment to talk to you about the guys on the screen behind me. Um, just a couple of months ago, uh, a couple of the elders here at the church, along with Pastor Luke and myself, we were able to go to New York, and we were able to visit with some friends there. Um, this is Pastor Michael Rubino in the middle. He pastors a church there in Long Island and is doing a remarkable job there and just serving as a catalyst for a spiritual awakening in many ways. Uh, this is Pastor George Russ. He is the executive director for the Metro New York Baptist Association in New York City, um, nearly 300 churches that he's pouring into. I, I was able to text with Pastor Michael yesterday. I was able to speak with Pastor George. And, and in speaking with Pastor George, he's like, Joel, I'm, I'm talking to 20 pastors a day type of thing. Um, every single church has somebody in their congregation that has COVID-19. Different pockets are being impacted and affected in a variety of different ways. He's just like, Joel, you just can't imagine all that's happening and taking place. I was able to pray with him and pray for him, offer anything we could do here in West Michigan to help and to come alongside of him. One thing I know that we can do is we can pray. Right? Prayer isn't something we flippantly do. Prayer is something that we do because we know we're calling on the name of God. We know we're calling on the Creator. So when we pray, it means a tremendous amount. Because of what we are really doing, we're calling on God himself. And so these dear brothers, and I see Eric up here, and I see Lee, and I see others, Pastor John, and I go, man, what, what amazing men of faith. And so right now, as they are working so hard and experiencing what's happening even in a different way than we are, I want to pray for them. To help us understand, we're all in this together. These are brothers in Christ, right? Sisters in Christ that are there in New York, and we want to encourage them. So right now, before we even jump any further into the passage or into the text today, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer once more. God, we come before you. We lift up uh, Pastor George. We lift up Pastor Michael. We lift up uh, their, the churches that they are supporting and all that they are doing, give them wisdom and discernment as they are trying to provide comfort to people who many don't know you, God. And it's, it's impossible to find true hope without you. And so give them the words that they need to speak. Give us the words that we need to be able to convey your greatness and the truth that you are, the faith that we have in you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are worthy of trust, that you are worthy of honor, worthy of glory. And we just come before you and ask that you would just bless the doctors and that you would bless, God, the pastors and all the people who are making such an impact and such a difference, all the nurses, everything that's taking place right now, not only in New York with these friends of mine, but also right here in West Michigan and other places as well. God, may we know what it is to rely fully upon you and to have joy in the Lord. There is joy in the name of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it is good to be able to be with you, and there are so many different places that my mind is racing and my heart is running toward today. Uh, 
my prayer yesterday and today, even late last night, I woke up and I was thinking about Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as you know, hopefully you might know, is Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has begun his messianic ministry, and he calls out in Matthew chapter 7, uh, very clearly he says, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine, right, he's just finished speaking to them and saying, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to, it really knows me, right, unless you obey my commands. And he, he then jumps in and says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, right? The, the storm will come, the rain will fall, the winds will blow against the house, and it will stand. But then he says the following words. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does, does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house, it says, on the sand. And the rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow, and it falls greatly. And my concern for us, and I hope that we're able to evaluate it today, um, is that many of us are learning right now with a new world and a new way of operating, a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking about things, right? The, the, the way that we did live life is no longer happening right now. And my concern is that so many of us are, are learning that we built our house of faith not on the rock but on the sand because it's gone. We built our house of faith on the sand and the wind and the, the storm, the rain fell and blew and everything else. And that's what's happening with the world right now. There's a storm that is, that is taking place and our house of faith is no longer standing. And guys, that's where we go, yeah, I understand if we can go, this is a little scary. But you've got to set that fear aside, that scariness aside. If you trust in God that is almighty, that is almighty, and we rest in that, and many of us right now are learning and discovering where we have built our house of faith. But when we look at the passage today, what we're going to be able to do is we're looking at the crowd's point of view of Jesus as he entered the city the last week of his life. He enters into Jerusalem and through the gate, and we're going to be able to start with that entry of Jesus Christ and very quickly hit that, but we're going to to be able to look at the different responses of the crowd as they are able to call out different things, beginning with Jesus' triumphal entry all the way until his death. I've, I've never preached it exactly like this before, and that's unusual. You know, I've been preaching through Easter for 25 years, and, and I go, okay, wait a second. This is a different thing for us to, to be able to consider. But we already know this is the last time that Jesus is entering through the city, and he's coming into it. We find it in John chapter 12. We also find it in other Gospels as well. But we find Jesus walking into the city, and he is there, and he's about to come over, and he sees the city, and he begins to weep for it. But what we find in John chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, is that triumphal entry. Now, I'm inviting you to role play today. Um, every single time, we're going to be the crowd. You're going to be the crowd. I'll be a part of the crowd as well. But we're, we're going to be the crowd. So whenever you see something marked here, you're going to recognize that's something you should be calling out. Because I think the crowd is representative of us anyway. And the crowd is going to end up having to evaluate who they really are and how they view Jesus. 
So this is how it begins today as we jump in to, to seeing the crowd's point of view of everything that's unfolding. John chapter 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, you've seen this before. Maybe uh, there are some people even playing it back from previous years that they've been able to do that even as a church. But you remember the palm branches, and they're waving these things, and they're meeting Jesus with it, and they're calling, crying out, crying out, Hosanna. This is you, by the way. Call it out with me. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can keep calling it out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what's unfolding and that's what's taking place. The crowd has seen Jesus and now they're calling out to him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now in the Gospel of John, what's happening is Jesus had just previously uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they come from that experience. The people certainly would have heard about this amazing thing, this miracle that Jesus had just performed to come before Lazarus, a friend of his, and say, come out. Raise him from the dead. And all of these people are coming now knowing Jesus is coming into the city. And they're like, I want some of that. I, I want that Jesus. I want that miracle worker to come and be a part of my life and what he can really do. And, and that's part of what's taking place here. Yeah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling it out because... They've seen this miracle worker, and they're wanting that for themselves. Now, it's a phrase, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We find this in Psalm 118. In fact, Zechariah, in Zechariah 9.9, he had already foretold that this very thing would be happening. And now they're calling out from Psalm chapter 118, and they're, they're letting people know um, ex- this this understanding of the prophecy and all that would have to take place. Psalm 118, verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they knew that the very thing, the stone that they were going to reject, they knew would have to become the cornerstone, but they didn't grasp it right now because they just saw this miracle worker and they wanted that Jesus to be a part of their life. The very one uh, knowing that he would have to bring a day of salvation. They're calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the, the religious leaders of the day, we, we know that they tried to stop the people from chanting it out. They even looked at Jesus and said, tell him to be quiet. But Jesus would not stop them. Now, as they're calling this out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As you might already understand, because they were really chanting that because of what they had seen him do and heard him do for Lazarus, they were crying out to him, but it wasn't genuine. There was a false cry. Their faith, you see, in that moment, their understanding of Jesus, their faith in Jesus was actually about what Jesus could do for them to provide their own interests, their own desire to meet their own needs in that moment, not understanding fully that they were to bow before him and to worship him and to accept all of who he is. And it's part of the reason that Jesus was weeping when he came into the city for the last time because he knew that those cries were not genuine. 
It's a bit dumbfounding to me sometimes why we even celebrate the way we celebrate on Palm Sunday, knowing that the cries that they had were not genuine. That means we at least have to evaluate if our cries toward Jesus are. That they're true. So right away, when we start to evaluate the crowd's response to Jesus, the question that we have to ask is this. Is our worship, is our declaration that Jesus is Lord, is it genuine? Is your worship, is my worship, is our declaration that Jesus is Lord, is it genuine? Is it authentic? Now hopefully, as we walk through today's message, we're going to be able to to learn more about that, to evaluate that for ourselves. Another time we come is if we jump over to John chapter 18. Now in John 12, we see him coming to the city and now uh, coming to the city for the first time. And John 18 is all of a sudden, it's the end of that week. And it's the time where Jesus has already been brought before Pilate. And we talked about him a week ago, if you want to go back and listen to that. But here comes Jesus and He's already been brought before Pilate, and Pilate has said, what, what do you want me to do with this guy? We know that six different times at least Pilate tried to release him, but he never had that tenacity, that, that inner strength to say, it's done, this guy's innocent. And so here's what we find in John chapter, John chapter 18, verse 38 and following. He says this, he says, Pilate, hey, what's true? What, uh, Pilate said to him, what's truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews. He says, listen, I don't find any guilt in him. Pilate knew the guy was innocent. He knew Jesus was innocent, but he just didn't have the strength to say, just, guys, it's over. I'm not doing anything with him. He says, if you have a custom to release this man, um, there's a custom for me to release one man for you at Passover. So then he, he wants to play a game to try to get Jesus to be released. He knows there's this tradition of releasing a guy at Passover, so he does this. He says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now that's where, remember, we're, we're playing the role here, so that's where we need to cry out right now, not this man, but Barabbas. Not Jesus, but Barabbas. Don't give us Jesus, give us Barabbas. We, we, that's what we want you to be able to do. Barabbas was a robber, according to John. We know, according to Luke, he was actually a murderer. This is someone who was a criminal who was in the wrong in every single way. Everybody knew that he was in the wrong. And Pilate was trying to get them to release Jesus. But they say, no, release Barabbas. So here's the crowd's response once again. Once again. Right? Uh, Now, they cried out before in John chapter 12, as we already looked at, to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But again, here comes the crowd, and they're like, oh, give us Barabbas. How did that change so quickly? What took place for them so quickly to say, wait a second, we're going to step away from Jesus? See, I don't think they really knew, obviously, what was to come. And so as a result of that, they made a wrong choice Maybe you've seen that before where there's some videos out there about kids. Like if you give a kid a piece of candy and you put it in front of them and you say, listen, um, I'm going to give you this right here, but just don't eat it. And if you don't eat it, later on I'm going to bring you just boxes of candy, that type of mentality. And the majority of kids will go ahead and eat that one piece and then they don't get to have all the other later on and they end up regretting that. 
most people, because they don't really know where they stand, their, their house of faith is on the sand, because of that very thing, we often receive something that is far less. We, we simply take what is put right in front of us. We're not able to defend our faith. We're not able to speak of Jesus because we're just going to take the easy. We're going to say, oh, that's what's in front of me right now. But later on, we know that that was a poor choice. I think that's what the people were doing. They saw there's Barabbas. Oh, free Barabbas, free Barabbas. And they just went with the people around them chanting until their, their chants were louder and louder and louder. That's one of the responses of the crowd toward Jesus Christ. We know that they chose this, but what they ended up doing is they began to look away from Jesus. They didn't even recognize all that was happening. But by looking away from Jesus, they were looking away from freedom. By taking their, all, their eyes off of Jesus and putting them on Barabbas, they were putting their eyes and they were taking it off of hope. By looking away from Jesus, they were looking away from hope and comfort. By looking away, away from Jesus, they were looking not at freedom but at captivity and they didn't even get it. If you have taken your eyes off of Jesus, you're looking away from the very thing that can give you life. And so here's the crowd responding to who Jesus is. First, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now it was very different. Now it was not this man, but Barabbas. In fact, as we continue on in John chapter 19, you'll skip down with me. This is where Pilate had already taken Jesus and flogged him. I think he's hoping that by flogging him and whipping him and beating him, I think that there's a portion of Pilate hoping that that would be enough for the people and that they would then cry to release him. We know that that didn't take place. We know the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They came up to him, hell, king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate goes out again, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So again, here's Pilate calling out guilt, but never with the, the tenacity to say enough's enough. And then it jumps down 19, verse 5 and 6, and this is what it says. It says, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Now, let's, let's go down this pattern. Not long ago, four or five days ago, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, no, not Jesus. Give us Barabbas is the second cry. And now another cry. It now moves to crucify him, crucify him. So again, we're participating here. You're the crowd. That means you're calling out, crucify him. Right? It feels odd to say, but I don't even think we recognize how often we deny Jesus Christ in our everyday life. It's the same as calling out, crucify him. We want nothing more of him. I mean, that's the reality of Palm Sunday, of what took place. I'm going, what happened? What happened for us to start with, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to give us Barabbas to crucify him. 
What took place? And I think one of the things that we see very clearly is I think that the crowd, I think the people very quickly grew tired of Jesus. And you go, well, how could you grow tired of Jesus? Well, because their view of Jesus was that Jesus was there to to fulfill their own self-interest and desires. And so whenever your, your understanding of Jesus is that he has come simply to meet your own self-interest and desires to promote self rather than you promoting him, right? Whenever that takes place and all of a sudden you don't see him fulfilling your desire and your self-interest, you grow weary of that. You're like, well, this isn't accomplishing much. I don't need that anymore in my life. So this was the crowd. That, I think the crowd lost the interest in Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't someone that they saw as needing to be worshipped because he was king. Jesus was someone that wasn't doing what they desired, and so they lost interest in who he was. This is the response of the crowd toward Jesus, and it's a response that I think we have to evaluate ourselves. We would never want to think that we're the ones crying out, crucify him, crucify him, but so often we are. Did you know that when you abandon his word and his teaching... You're saying, I don't need you, Jesus. Your ways are not higher than my own. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts. God, you must have gotten this wrong. And so we step away from him. We often speak about it here at Chapel Point. We say we, that we step, we take one small step away from God. But if we want to be transformed followers of Jesus, we want to take those steps toward Christ and acknowledging that we have not grown weary of Jesus. We always will need more of Jesus. And so we engage with that. We start to understanding that we quickly grow weary of anything not giving us what we desire for self. And maybe some of us have grown weary of Jesus because he's not giving us what we desire for self. Is that you? Is that where you fall right now? I think that's where many of us are having to evaluate and to discover. If you've lost all fulfillment and all hope because of what's happened in the world today, then I'm going to question if you ever had fulfillment and hope in Jesus Christ because God has not changed. And words inform your heart. If you continually speak words of fear and worry and anxiety, did you know that it's only going to exist more within your own heart? Speak words of power. Speak words of hope. Speak words of truth. Speak words that are eternal. Jesus is Lord. He will not abandon. He is present. He is king. And he is worthy of worship. Where have the people of faith gone? This is the crowd's response to Jesus Christ and all that was taking place. In fact, even later on in John chapter 19, as we continue on, he says in verse 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out. The Jews cried out. Listen to this. Here are the Jews. These are the people. This is the crowd calling out, the different people calling out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now they're playing into Pilate's whole thing of they knew that Pilate, right? Remember in 36, just a few years after this, Pilate's actually brought back to Rome. He's taken back to Rome. But here he is, and here's this individual. They knew that he wanted to please Rome, to please Caesar, because he didn't want to get in any trouble at all. And so they play into this thing of, hey, aren't you here to please 
Caesar, aren't you here to please this man? We know that you can't please both God and man. And yet they knew that Pilate wanted to please a man and not God. And so they played into that. And they called this out on him. It reminds me of Romans 8.8. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And they knew that Pilate was someone who was in the flesh. One of the reasons that we don't think that Jesus ever really brings us fulfillment and pleases us is because our pleasure is not in him. Our pleasure is in our own flesh. And that was no different for them. It was no different for them at all. And so they call out to Pilate, listen, we know that you want to please Caesar. Will you not do such? We know that you want to please others. Right? One of the reasons I think the crowd turned so quickly is because their desire wasn't to please God. Their desire was to please self or to please someone else. And that's what they were looking for. And so the crowd very quickly turned on Jesus. The desire to please others causes one to lessen the value of pleasing God. I mean, that's something so important for us to recognize. The desire to please others, even the desire to please self, it causes us to lessen the value of pleasing God because we put we misprioritize the things that are in our lives. And what we should be doing and where we should be going how we should be operating and how we should be making decisions, how we should be living out our daily life. So here again, we're, we're, we're role-playing here and we're recognizing that we're the crowd and yeah, we started out pretty well. Here we go. And maybe many of you, even when you accepted Christ, you're like, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But over time, you continually have stepped away and now you're, you're choosing other things like Hey, give me Barabbas instead of Jesus. And now you've even called out other things such as, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm here to please myself or to please others. I'm not here to please God. And you start to recognize we're no different than the crowd 2,000 years ago. But when we look at the next passage as we stay in John chapter 19... It tells us it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So here he is. Pilate calls out, Behold your king. And immediately they cry out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Remember, you're the crowd. Go ahead and call out if you haven't already. Away with him, away with him. What they're calling out is, listen, Pilate, they're they're weary of hearing about this dude. They're weary, truly, of hearing about Jesus. 
Sometimes you get fed up with pastors or maybe even me or others, your neighbor or a friend or a spouse who keeps telling you, you need to trust in Jesus, you need to trust in Jesus, and finally you just want to be like, enough! I mean, that's what the people were saying. The people were saying, away with him. Don't you get it? We're done with him. We want nothing to do with him. We're done with him. Don't you get it? And they're wanting to make sure that they are communicating this very thing. I see them very quickly coming and just kind of communicating, hey, listen, just, okay, done, pilot, move on, please. And they didn't recognize their need for Jesus. You see, they rejected Jesus. The crowd rejected Jesus. Some, maybe some of you have rejected Jesus. But here's the, here's the good news is that you have a choice to accept Jesus? Do you recognize your need for Jesus? Have you moved from rejection to acceptance, or do you only believe that Jesus is here to fulfill your own self-interest? And all of a sudden, you're not finding those interests fulfilled, and you're not finding hope in the things that are happening in the world, and so you're struggling. And if we're the crowd, we have to ask ourselves, have we moved from rejection to acceptance? And you're going, oh yeah, I've, I've done that. Pastor Joel, you got to know, I've moved to a place of acceptance. Well, I want to make sure you understand what that really means then. That means you have a gauge to live by. Maybe these are things that you can even look at here. If you've moved to acceptance, that means accepting his love, accepting what God did for you, and the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He died for you. He was flogged and beaten for you. Well, that means if you really accept that, it means you're going to live out the great commandment. We know that we find that Matthew chapter 22, 35 and 40, it really begins 37-ish, but we look at that and we go, okay, wait a second here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, right? He goes into this, but if you've accepted, if you're not living in the rejection of Jesus, but if you say, if you claim to have accepted the love of Christ, that means now you're living out that, that great commandment. In your daily life, you're living out what it is to love the Lord your God in everything you do. Every breath you take, every word you speak, every action that you make, every decision that you make. And can you say, yeah, man, I'm in. I've accepted Jesus fully. Also, if you've accepted Jesus, it means that you're now living out the Great Commission. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is really, listen, go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, right? Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Go baptize. It means you're telling your story. So, one, you've given him every ounce of your energy, every fiber of your body. That's the great commandment. Great commission is now you're speaking about him and you're letting everybody know about his love and about his power. You can't shut up about it. Because remember, the crowd said, enough with him, away with him, we're done. Don't you get it? So if you fully accepted Jesus, that means now we're, we're great commandment. Everything I have is his great commission. I can't stop talking about him. 
and I want to fulfill his commandment and his instruction. That's why I put the, great, the Ten Commandments up there. Exodus 20, it means that we want to abide in his word. John chapter 15, it means that we want, according to James, to be doers of the word. And so now you want to know his truth and you want to live in this so that you can fulfill all that he has for you in your life. Have you accepted Jesus? You see, the crowd, here they are. We're the crowd, right? Class participation here. We're role-playing. They've said, enough with Jesus. We don't want anything more of him. They rejected him. The question for you is, have you fully accepted Jesus Christ? Can you say these words? I choose Jesus. Is that what you're calling out? That you choose Jesus. It's amazing to think about the journey of the crowd with, in relationship to Jesus during this period, this, this last week of his life. Because we see such a movement from the crowds who wants, the, the crowds used to be so large around Jesus, right? He'd get in a boat, go into the water just to separate himself. He'd get in the boat to cross the lake, to go to a place alone, to be with the Father. And all these people are surrounding him because they're all going, Jesus, give me what I want. But when it came to, hey, people, will you worship Jesus for who he is? They rejected him. Have you rejected Jesus? And maybe even more importantly, have you accepted him fully to live it out? To me, my life is worth one thing, and that is giving glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to declare that. You can stick me in a house with my kids every day. I'm still going to worship God, and I'm not saying it's not going to get difficult, but I'm going to worship God. Oh, how easily we have turned our interest to the interest of self rather than claiming Christ and putting our glory and our honor and our worship toward Him. If we don't understand Palm Sunday fully, if we don't understand what was happening Palm Sunday and again on Good Friday and we're going to worship together, if we don't get that, we'll never fully comprehend Easter. Have you chosen Jesus? Have you listen? Have you chosen Jesus? Can, can you raise your hand and say, "I have chosen Jesus." choose you fully. Please, God, we choose you, for you have already chosen us. Praise be to God.